Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I mean, I'm really privileged because right there is the River Thames. Oh, nice. So it's really amazing. So we live and then we've got a balcony overlooking the River Thames. So it's really incredible. Commonly, I'll see seven or eight arguments go off a day. People freaking out, people trying to jump in the river, arguments, fights, police. And sometimes it's interesting and then sometimes it gets a bit like, oh, I wish we were somewhere a bit... You feel a bit of a twat sitting on your balcony. It's like a bit like having a sports car, isn't it? You know, there's a time to have a sports car and there's a time to have a balcony. And I don't know. I bought a hammock from um, from Amazon. So I put the hammock up, which is, makes it even worse. You know what I mean? It's like converting your sports car. Welcome to Trash in the Attic, a podcast about stuff. I'm Charlie Gunn and each week I ask a musician to have a rummage through their attic to find some hidden gems from their past. Be it an old tour poster or a work of art, we hear the stories behind these lost items. This week's episode is with the hilarious Baxter Jewelry, brilliant musician and as most of you will probably know, the son of Ian Jewelry of the Blockheads. We talk on Zoom, it's about week five of lockdown and Baxter's at home in his flat in West London. You're in lockdown with your son, you said, because like, he's what 17 18 yeah he's 17 yeah how's it yeah. how it how's the he's chilled you know they're like they're adapted to this situation that technologies are let them speak to their mates and they were used to that anyway it's pretty much you know they're vampiric at that age they don't really like light and all that stuff and um he's he's a, a mate like i'm bound to say it myself but he's an amazing musician and he's just into music and thankfully he's kind of like an auto nerd so he does he's like quite ambitious academically and really good and so he just does all his work he just goes ding ding he's he's quite like he wants to go to a posh university you know so like he's quite good at all that stuff so I don't I've never ever looked at a sheet of paper you know I'm like the he calls me the the Essex donkey because I'm sort of like oh yeah mess me I just make stupid clumsy remarks (laughs) but he just sort of he sort of takes care of all that and every now and then I do sort of A&R professor where I go and talk about some of the music. I go, oh, why don't you turn the hi-hat down? Or, you know, great snare sound. <laughs> Stuff like that. Brilliant. So we are, we've got it quite sussed. We've got, we've got quite a good vibe going on. So that's all right. That's good. That's good. Yeah. So for the purposes of this podcast, I asked you to have a rummage around the flat and find a collection of things that, have a good story or mean something to you or are just, I don't know, significant in some way, big or small. Um, and so, uh, yeah, let's let's go through the things. Yeah. <laughs> so the first, the first thing, I believe, is something that you found um, on the Portobello Road. That's right. I can show you it if you want, because it's behind me. Do you want me to show you it or not? Yeah, go on then. I mean, it's just there. Yeah. It's just kind of weird painting, right? It's just really weird. It's very strange painting. Oh, but right. It was, um, it was, I saw it on the Portobello Road, where I, I've lived for years and years, where I used to live for years and years, I was brought up on. And, um, and it was only four quid or five quid, and I've stuck it centrally up in my front room. And I'm from this big lineage of... Um, 
of um, painters and stuff. Mum was a painter, grandfather was a painter. So it's full of all this amazing old pop art, all this, all this stuff. And I put this painting up right in the middle of the, of the living room. And it's kind of disgusting. It's shit, it's four quid. And it's really creepy and shit and weird. But it's the one painting that fools everyone because they go, oh, my God, you know, because everyone loves to see, you know, they can smell the 60s and they see this, all this pop art and there's a Peter Blake and all this sort of pretentious range of stuff. But it really cracks me up. Everyone goes, but this one, this is the one I love. You know what I mean? I don't know why it does that. And I think, because no one really, I mean, what does it mean art or what does it mean whether the heritage is good or bad or credible or not? But it's a piece of shit, right? It's done by some... It's, well, it's not a piece of shit. Nothing's a piece of shit, but it's just amazing how it really lures people in because they spend all the time looking at the other and admiring all the more awkward, slightly sexualized dad paintings. And my mum was a very serious painter and my granddad was quite an odd painter. But this is the one that they really go... And this one's my favourite and that always cracks me up. So I always like the fact... And it's shit. It's pretty disgusting and awful and... Do you tell you know, them that it was four quid at that point, or do you yeah, some, go along with some it? Some people with less fragile fragile egos. Some people are very so like some people that are more fragile. I let them <laughs> suspended in there, right? you know what I mean? Because otherwise, it might upset them. What drew you to it in the first place? Actually, you should probably describe it for people. Um, it's just a smirking, eerie, pale person, and. Um, I, I liked it because it was quite awful and it was four quid. And the guy who runs the store I know quite well. And he actually was just getting rid of it. So I felt ch- I charitably bought it off him. Um, and I, I actually like it because it's really awful. It's anti-art in a way, so I quite like that. Considering how sort of pretentious some of our upbringing, we're so bohemian and so arty, it it becomes a burden, you know what I mean? <laughs> it becomes a burden to precociously know about oil, you know, like everything being of some sort of heritage, that something shit is good, you know? It's just like eating Finders, isn't it, or something? I don't know if you're a chef. It's like, it's just something shit's good sometimes. That's why I like it. Simple. <laughs> The next thing that I think you have dug out of uh, somewhere, some corner of the flat, worth adding as well, this is the flat that you sort of grew up in, grew up in half the time, right? That's right. I mean, it, it, I hadn't seen it. T- t- uh, two years ago, I moved back in into it and um, it, uh, it, I lived here as a kid with my dad, so it's a bit of a similar setup. Uh, how it is now with my son. Um, yeah, and I moved back into it two years ago. I rented it back off the family. I don't know. I mean, I, I didn't necessarily want to move back into... You know, I didn't want to... I wasn't trying to relive anything or... I didn't want to live in a nest of memories, but I've reclaimed it as my own. And just because it's in such an incredible position, it's such a rare chance to live somewhere so amazing... And I probably knew that as a kid that it was amazing and, and I still know it's amazing now. So that's why I came back in here. But it's great, actually. It's, and it's massive as well, so it's great. Did you purposefully, like, try and paint it or change it or or make it feel really different to how it was? Yeah, I mean, it just naturally is because it got rearranged before it got 
before anyone, before we as a family moved out, it was rented out to the Norwegian Tourist Board for about 20 years. Oh. And somehow it all got carved up differently, which actually sort of ruined the, orig- the original inf- infrastructure of it, but, at, but made it different enough that it didn't feel like... Like, my bedroom is now the kitchen or something. You know what I mean? Like, or something like that. So, oh, OK. And that's a quite a good thing. So it feels like our place. I didn't want to live somewhere... I didn't want to live in a mausoleum, you know what I mean? That's not what I was trying to do. Yeah. So, yeah, it was good. Lucky now, I tell you that. I can see you've got a suit jacket on there. Yeah, I'm doing like a, um, sort of... you know, like the kind of sinking submarine captain who wears a tuxedo. <laughs> <laughs> is there a... Because th- you're known as being a bit of a snappy dresser, but is there a sort of Baxter that is in uh, trackies during um, all, this I mean, lockdown phase? I'm always, I just put this on now. I just thought, oh, fuck it, I'm going to wear something. <laughs> I was having a kind of moment, you know what I mean? It's like it's what you, it's what you, <laughs> yeah. someone calls it a Mrs. Havisham moment. <laughs> yeah. When you, take the, um, when you take the dust covers off, <laughs> the kind of the, the, the rumours you got married or whatever. Yeah, go, yeah. I will eat soup, whatever. You know what I mean? I'm having a Mrs. Havisham moment. Wedding cake. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Um, so, yeah, the next thing is maybe something, who knows, you can tell us, um, that's keeping you busy through lockdown. Is it uh, some kind of chess set? Now, this chess set's off the scale because I bought this about, about 10 years ago or something. And we, I just managed, just before we switched on Zoom, to switch it on. And it's off the scale. I, I can't... I don't know if I can show you now. Or, or should I just show you later, right? Does that make a better... They're not going to see this anyway, are they? No. Is that when no. we actually say it right? So I should just describe it. It's called a Phantom Force. It was when my, my son, Cosmo, went really nerdy. And somehow he went, I want a Phantom... He was like about eight or nine and he perfected this sort of like Reese Mogg type accent. He started talking like this or something. He went, I want a Phantom Force chess set and that's what I want, Papa. And I went, fuck, what's that? And I looked up and it's this automated chess set that if you're really good at chess, you can play it. And, and she's called Jessica and she's really evil. She's a bit like the, the actual woman that's in the painting might have voiced... The chess set, it's all right, it'll connect. It's like a good drama. It's quite Habersham-y. And, um, <laughs> and, and she goes, hi, my name's Jessica. I'm going to beat you now. And all the chess pieces go, they all move around. And he goes, ding, ding, you have lost. Get, you know, it is really spooky. I can't explain how weird it is. And it makes little kind of boxing ringing noises before it's about to beat you and stuff. But it's a really incredible piece of technology that's really old. It's like 15 years old. Yeah. But it's, it must have a million motors in it that, that sort of um, direct, some sort of computer that directs all the chess pieces on magnets. But it's really spooky. When you've, you've never seen it before, you're like, what the... And it's really good at chess. It's like a chess computer called Jessica. <laughs> anyway, I found it. There is a storeroom. And I found out. I went, oh, fuck. And I, just, I actually got it operating just now. And it still freaks you out. You're like, Jesus <laughs> Christ. What? It's so weird. And he hasn't played chess for 10 years because he sort of dropped that persona. And immediately was lured in. So I had to get... He was just in his pants playing it just before <laughs> I pressed Zoom. And I was like, get the fuck out of it. Anyway. Jessica, so it's really sinister. amazing. I, it can only really be experienced by... 
You could look it up, you know, someone, everyone can look it up. Phantom Force. I think it's called a Phantom Force. That sounds brilliant. That's what it's called. Jessica. Were you any good at chess? No. Absolutely not have none of these. There's this generation skip or whatever. You know, there's a... I don't have any of these skills or, or I'm not able to focus. And No, I can't. I don't even know what anything does. So, no, I don't. I learned to play it. But as in, I know what all the pieces do and where to move them. But I think that was the level yeah. of like no sort of forward strategy or anything. I don't think I'd stand a chance against Jessica by the sounds of it. Jessica, no, no. I mean, no one, I mean, I'm not, no, no one can beat Jessica. No, one, I don't think you can actually beat Jessica. I don't think, I think, no oh, one right. can. I don't think, I think it's actually designed never to ever beat Jessica. So... Did you um, ever get into playing computer games or anything like that? A little bit when I was young. I mean, they were like steam-powered steam ones when I was really young. But we, I was the first generation where they were, where you would actually get these things with ZX81s and Spectrums and you'd kind of build them and they were really um, inclusive. And then you'd have to write the programs and stuff and they were really cool. I mean, that was a long, long time ago. So we were, but it was as obsessive as it is now, but in a very much slower, less rewarding way. Well, rewarding in a different way. It was just, you know, this little thing moved across and didn't do anything, a little block person that you assumed was a human being. You know, like you get a game with two squares that were meant to be like adventurers or, or something, or footballers or something, but they weren't, they were just two squares. But you'd actually program it and stuff. So, yeah, I did a bit of that. Well, that sounds... Very complicated. I can't work out if it's a good thing that they've sort of made computer games social now. Because it's good, I suppose, because there's some kind of level of in- interactivity between the kids and the other wider world. But then equally, it's sort of less impetus to ever go outside. I don't know. Well, I think right now it's a godsend because it's like keeping them... It's actually yes. Yeah, it's, it's strangely enough, it's something they learnt how a learnt they learnt way of communicating, which has actually really benefited. Because like at nine o'clock on the weekends or on the holidays, he's on it till four o'clock in the morning of all his mates, and that is like really tr- like like a treasured time amongst them. So yeah, I think it's it's a good thing really. But you're writing a book, you said. About a year and a half ago, I signed a book deal, yeah, about my childhood. Weird enough, a lot in this house. So it's a bit of a loop, sort of insanity me loop. I'm in the house writing about me in here in an apocalypse. It's pretty... Um, that, that, I find that quite difficult. I mean, writing alone is quite a difficult thing if you're not used to it, that sort of discipline. And it's not the fact of actually what you... The amount of words you write, it's just you realise that... You, when you realise that you're not a writer, that's what I find difficult. You know, you're not George Orwell or some sort of distant notion you might have had been the great last hope or something. And then you go, fuck, you really got to learn how to pull back from trying to write and just allow a story to shape. And then it'll be interesting. Then you'll let your natural language inform it and that's a real trick in it in itself but once you start going oh but i'm going to sculpt this literary and then it's a piece of shit you know what I mean? that's an awful man writing it's the worst thing in the world so i've just learned how to stop doing that and sort of just let it be the tr- sort of the truth as much how as much of it's done i mean a fraction 
because I didn't all that what I just said is totally bullshit because <laughs> I don't do that at all. <laughs> That's what I want to do. <laughs> I micro edit and micro edit. I, I'm, you know, I don't know yet. I'm sort of going through all the stuff I did over the last year, so I set it up enough. So I'm trying to treat it like a day job, but it's, I find it really tough. I find that music's a breeze, you know what I mean, compared to that. That's really tricky. Is it a thing where you've got specific deadlines where you've got to file, like, certain chapters or the whole thing? Or Well, they're quite sympathetic and they're used to dealing with quite coarse people. You know, they're a big company, so they're not stupid. So they know how to sort of... Um, you know, like, they know the right, right amount of pressure to put on and what to expect. And also, they're smart people, so they're really good editors and all that. And I re- that's the key to it always. You just give them a pile of shit, really. And they just... <laughs> and if you trust the person and you know that there's some form of story that is true, they'll find that through there. You just have to trust somebody. Because I'm certainly not capable of doing that. It's quite it's an amazing learning curve, actually. Of what you've, what your projected output, what you're good at is not what you expect, and all that stuff, and learning about reading and what you, and then you suddenly all these things that you've dismissed for years. Ah, oh, it's awful, right? And then you go, oh, no, it's not awful writing. Like, you know, I read like Patty Smith's biography a few years ago, and thought, oh, it's really pleasant. You know, a bit annoying when she talks about celebrities. And you realise it's fucking amazing. She's unbelievably like so capable because she sort of she reverses the truth and her world into a sort of poetic viewpoint and that is amazing now she'll write one sentence that's worth 30 people's pages you know what i mean she, yeah she goes boom and you're like wow and you realize that she's studied poetry since she was 11 and you know all that and she's deeply in the game so it's quite interesting in that way i really enjoyed it but i don't find it easy no well I think if writing is just one of those things, well, I mean, you say you find writing music really easy now, but um, just the more you do it, the easier it gets. Well, you kind of, you firm up your, you know, you just need feedback and and you it's your own doubt and all that starts to, I know what I can do in music, you know, I know where I can, I know what tricks to do. Yeah, exactly. But I'm very uh, vulnerable writing. But did, is there not a vulnerability to your music as well? Yeah, but I know, you know, it's a trick, isn't it? You know, I know where to switch it on and off and all that stuff. You know, it's not like, yeah, I mean, I guess so. And I'm quite honest, like, the way I write, the things that interest me are quite kind of vain in a, in a vulnerable way. They're sort of, oh, look at me and how I felt and all that stuff. That's where it, it, it focuses in on, is a sort of self emotional responsive things about what happens so I don't I don't ever look beyond that so but then as a as a result I'm quite honest about some of the stuff that happens in the good and the bad but yeah so. yeah I think that's what sort of resonates with people well that and they're just really good tunes aren't they oh thank you <laughs> sometimes <laughs> every now and then there's an all right one that kind of fools people into excusing the rest <laughs> Um, but how about like binging telly? Do you watch much telly? Find telly claustrophobic. 
Find that right now at Costa. Right, the last thing, and you know, I've been watching that. Like, I'll find some weird nuanced series that you know, someone like someone put me onto some weird series called like Fowler or something like that. I can't, I don't know how it's pronounced on Netflix. You know, you can find any anything you want on Netflix, and it's about. I think the first there's three series, and the first one was about a sort of fair appraisal between a special forces, Israeli special forces and a sort of Palestinian uprising thing. And it tried to give you a fair account of why and how miserable the situation developed, you know, why it happens. And it was quite fair. And the third one, they just fucked that off and they're just, they're just killing indiscriminately any any Arab they can see. And it's really fucked up. It's really like... Whereas the first, but I'm still watching it. I mean, why am I watching this awful shit? <laughs> but I just, like, it's so awful, it... It doesn't. It doesn't make me. I don't get lured in that way. You know, I watched it for twenty minutes. I was watching right. the violence. I think so. I'm not not reading the message of it, but um, yeah. And I don't really watch much else. I, don't, I, I notice when I turn on TV that it's all gone very strange, isn't it? Because everyone's gone into a little a box and they're trying to they're trying to do things to compensate in a good way, but everyone's filming themselves, aren't they? Yeah, it's weird. I was watching, well, the news, I guess, the other day and um, Jon Snow was like in his house painting a watercolour whilst on the phone <laughs> video thing <laughs> with Grace and Perry and it was just all really strange. I was like, right. what is he doing? Why? And, yeah, was, was Grace and really, Perry teaching really him to do something? I think Grace and Perry had asked a, a lot of different people to do some kind of art project or paint something he's very clever isn't he that guy like every time yeah, you hear he's, he's so clever isn't he like he's really really smart isn't he yeah my mum said the other day just as a little aside that if she could be married to anyone in the world apart from my stepdad it would be grace and perry really <laughs> wow like, oh, right, i bet he's very attractive nice. tra- attra- attractive guy isn't he probably just and he's just general like he seems of, nice and sharp, smart, and... smart, yeah, yeah, you know, lots of things, yeah, I can see that. Okay, so two more things on your list. The penultimate one is a synth. Oh, yeah, the synth. Which is not oh. entirely surprising. No, the because... synth's quite, yeah, the synth's quite cool, actually, because I inherited the synth. The synths are part of the kind of my rock and roll upbringing, and, um... And it actually was, um, it's been on lots of records this time. It's called an ARP and it's really rare one, this particular version. And um, it's got like a big strap around it. So in, in the 70s or 80s with Dad's band and The Clash, it, they, they used it in. The guy that had owned it was this guy called Mickey Gallagher. And uh, he played it and he used to wear it. You know, it's a big thing, this big bulky instrument. And it and it appeared on loads of songs, and it and it appeared on um, one of the Clash tunes called Bank Robber. It's on Bank Robber, and um, and in fact, I know, I'm not going to say who it is, but I know the person who Bank Robber's written about. It's written about their dad, but um, as you know, and I just learnt that story, so it's quite. I, which I'm not going to say who it was, but but is it someone well known? Uh, not necessarily, but I, no, it's, it's not, that's not my place to divulge that, but. Anyway, it was, um, it's just a really, it's just a beautiful old thing and it barely works and it's just got amazing heritage. And the only time, in fact, 
the, so the the person that lent me the synth is Mickey Gallagher's son, who I write a lot of my music with, and we've known each other since we were no, you know literally nothing. We were known each other since we were two years old, and um, and we write a lot. And he wrote like the bassline to Miami and things like that. And when we were little roguish rock and roll kids, uncontrolled, the only time I ever met Joe Strummer was we were at his house once. Ben and I were at his house in on Carnival, and he had this house on Lancaster Road, and we were on the top, and I think we were trying to smoke either our first cigarette or spliff or something precociously dangerous we were doing. And we were on the roof of his house, and then we decided to piss off the roof, and we pissed off the roof. And as we got clambered down this slightly dangerous stairwell thingy, Mickey and Joe Strummer were running up when they were covered in piss. And the only time I ever met Joe, and they went, did you just piss off the roof? And we instinctively said, no. And they said, is anyone else up there? And we went, yes. And they went, right, go. And he was, he's, Mickey's a Geordie, so I can't really do a Geordie accent. He went, right then, let's go. And Joe went, yeah, man, whatever. And that's the only time I ever met Joe is I pissed on his head when I was about 11. <laughs> and that's a bit of a rubbish celeb- celebrity anecdote to mention the synth. But that was on Nina. That was quite good, though, isn't it? That is a good yeah. one, definitely. <laughs> Yeah. So the the actual synth was handed down to you from your dad? So, or no, no, so Ben, 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 Ben is Mickey's son. So Ben right, and I, right. so we've just been friends and so ever since we were, you know, we were, and we've always written music together all our lives and we still do. And so he would bring over stuff when we were kids from, from right, his dad's, you know, musical stuff. And I think that just stayed here for years and years and years and years. And I noticed that it was on a song called What a Waste and it was on loads of Dad's songs and it was on... I think it was on quite a few Clash albums, especially because I think a lot of Dad's band played on Sandinista, the last album the Clash made. And in fact, even Ben, as a kid, is singing on that album. So it's quite good. It's quite a good heritage, that one. But Mickey used to play with them loads. And uh, did Joe ever find out it was you that pissed on his head? No, and there was never an inquiry or never ever mentioned again. <laughs> and it's only Ben that reminded me of the story about a few a year ago or so. So I've, I've said it a few times recently. I thought it was really funny. Let's talk about the hammock. So well, the hammock is a, right, a triumph of lockdown. Like what they call it, it's a life hack, isn't it? I bought it for 120 quid on Amazon. And it just about fit, the circumference, you know, all the widths and all that just about fits on my balcony. And it's got a really sturdy scaffold that goes on because it's hammocks quite sophisticated, as you know, as you said, that you you found it difficult to find um, a, two posts that perfectly, you know, you'd have to be somewhere really unique. Anyway, this thing is self-suspending hammock. And, and, and the way it dips down... Is it? Is it goes? It goes. It, the actual um, you can you can change the what would you call it the the sort of level of hammock you want. So you could have a really you could have like a yoga stiff hammock where you barely have any kind of dent in it. Slack. But yeah, slack <laughs> is the word. But if you create quite a lot of slack, then it dips down and no one can see you walking across the bridge or on the river because you would look like the ultimate cock in your hammock in the apocalypse, <laughs> right? So anyway. Once you get down, you get the headphones and you eliminate the outside noise and you're on your headphones and you're in the hammer and you get the kitchen dry. It's incredible. It is absolutely like you're like, 
you're you're sent somewhere else. You know, you are anywhere you want to be. So so, so I've been writing my book on my hammock whilst listening oh, to bark. Really? Yeah, like a no. like, like a cock. I am actually an idiot, a twat cock. Idiot twat that cock. Is yeah. Quite an image. Yeah, yeah, totally. Bark hammock. And it, but, and it was really, really yeah. I'm just doing my memoir on my hammock. I listen to Bark, Barkster. Anyway, and then it um, it it was really easy to assemble as well. And it's 120 quid, and it turned out. You know how like an Amazon says it won't it won't be here till 2025. It says there's really negative things, and it turns up an hour later. And they go, <laughs> I don't know what's going on with that thing, but I've been buying lots of stuff on Amazon, and it turns up like two hours later. Anyway, the hammock turned up two hours later. This is not it doesn't have much of a narrative spine what I'm telling you now, but it was just interesting. It turned up and I had such fun assembling it and sitting on it, and it's literally like being at holiday on holiday at home. It's brilliant. So yeah, that's, that's so a, good. It's pretty disgusting. And it's been so sunny as well. Perfect hammock weather. Amazing, yeah. So that's really like I've really lucked out there. Have you done any mad um, lockdown purchasing of things like I know a lot of people are buying like hairdressing scissors or like things that they never would normally do in their house but um... nah, I bought some glue I mean I glued something I mean I'm, I'm a <laughs> DIY you know like a emo- like emotionally frozen person I don't know what and where and what I drilled a, I got a masonry bit on a drill and drilled a massive the hole in the wall and then put a big hook in it and then put some sort of prison exercise machine you know like a thing that you can pull yourself up and down on oh that's good that was quite effective and it's still there now it's still right there and it's still working so i actually did that's the only bit of manual um applicate anything i've ever done ever in my life i think with, with <laughs> oh, a, and i've got this massive masonry drill bit which i was quite proud of buying I was so feeble, I could barely carry the thing from the shop. But, yeah, that was good. So I did do something. So if, like, assuming this is going to go on for a bit, what you want to plough on with writing your book? And what else? What's in store for the rest of the year? Or just don't know? It's quite frightening, really, because we were on tour now. So, and that's my livelihood, really. I'm pretty philosophical, so I don't let myself get too submerged. I don't immerse myself in how fucked it is. It's pretty fucked for live bands, and they don't think they realistically don't think we'll play till really till next autumn. So not this autumn. That's that's eighteen months or something. Is really when we when we'll play again. That's what I've been told today. Really like when people they'll send out all these messages before maybe spring, but it's not going to happen. They know that, so that's is that, that actually true. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, well, that's what they. That's what. The, that's what a sensible person would look at. So you're talking about how, how do that, I mean that's you know a lot of the agencies, live agencies, have gone bust already. To be honest, so it's a shit show. How you? I mean. How you get through that, I don't know. I don't know how to get through that. I don't know. Like, we, we, I can't think of being a live musician. I must think that that's not going to happen for that long. If it does happen, for brilliant. But the, the clever, the people that I trust, the smartest people, because I get lots of people saying stuff because they have to, and the people I sort of think that that's a person that's that's definitely read and evaluated but the evaluation of the situation and they're the people I trust and I think they say, you know, it'll be next autumn. 
So I don't know really. Bloody hell, that's quite terrifying, isn't it? Yeah. Well, well so maybe. I guess I could make an album at home. That's what I might do. That's what I've been talking about doing. To make another Would you album. you have um, Cosmo play on it? Oh, shadow of a doubt. I mean, I I persuaded him for years that it will help because he's really smart. He's just a really smart kid. He's always been smart, and he, whatever he does, he's brilliant at. And I've always said you must never ever get contaminated by your family because I've struggled with it. And I like you must always be so. You must never work for me, or you must. You know, I try and avoid the whole dad thing. You know, you can really respect it all, but you must really, if you're ever going to be good, don't be burdened by that. So when I suddenly had to use him recently, he was just so conditioned in saying no. And I'm like, what the fuck? You can't don't say no to me now. He's like, no, because he's a brilliant musician. And I had to ask him to this Albert Hall thing. And I'm like, but I need you. He's like, no. And then I had to go, well, what? And he went, uh, well, what does your guitarist get paid? And I'm like, oh, for fuck's sake. Anyway, we neg- and it was a great way to do it. And I did negotiate <laughs> a fee with him. And he was brilliant. You know what I mean? I'm like, okay. <laughs> So, but that's so good. Yeah, it's good. He's, so good. he's smart and like, and, and not that bothered. He's like, whatever, I'll do it. <laughs> I saw that Royal Albert Hall thing actually, and there was one point he gave you a bit of a look. You were doing some dance moves. I, think. I do my faux camp kind of spiritual look to the gods stuff, and he's looking like he's looking for a leak. He's stitching <laughs> me up. It was much better that I was looking away from him, so I didn't see what he was doing. But he was like, oh, what a knob. What are my mates going to think? And he's right, and it's good that he thinks like that, because in a way, I, I've given him, you know, I've taught him to be that independent, which is a good job. But So, yeah, Definitely. it's good, yeah. So that's all good. So I would use him, but it will be a hard negotiation. Well, thank you, Baxter. It was really good to chat to you. And, all right. um Yeah, thanks. That's all right. Thanks for listening. And thanks to Baxter for his time. I really enjoyed making that podcast. He is a funny, funny man. Check out Baxter's newest album, The Night Chances, which is out now. And if you enjoyed this pod, please give it a like and subscribe to future episodes. Production support for this one was by James John Deacon and theme tune was written by Izzy B. Phillips. (laughs) 